This week on Developer Weekly. But in your customer relations, I believe you have to play the long-term game, which means that sometimes you will have to do an effort that doesn't result in short-term results. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week, I'm talking with Steven van Bellegem about the future of technology. Steven believes in a bright future where companies play the long-term game with their customers. His passion is spreading ideas about the future of customer experience. Steven has written lots of books, is an entrepreneur and an incredible international keynote speaker. Welcome, Steven, and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me on this uh, episode of the podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure, uh, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, like I was saying also before the podcast, I've seen you uh, uh, do a keynote at Techorama Belgium, which uh, lots of our listeners know Techorama Belgium. Maybe you've seen this uh, keynote as well, where you talked about customers the day after tomorrow, which mm-hmm. is one of the books that you've uh, written, yep, yep, which right. was Absolutely amazing. So in your bio, you say that you believe that companies should play the long-term game with customers. What do you mean by that? I think that that's probably the most crucial thing in, um, in being successful with, with customers. Um, many companies um, are only focused on short-term results. They are so sales-driven um, that they do whatever they can to optimize their revenues in the short run. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of making money in the short run. I think that, that <laughs> should always be an objective. Um, but in your customer relations, I believe you have to play the long-term game, which means that sometimes you will have to do an effort that doesn't result in short-term results. Um, that means that sometimes you will have to make a decision that in the short run will cost you money, but it will increase your relationship with your customer. And I think that you should build a customer strategy that is focusing on that long-term impact without any short-term expectations. Um, Some of the things that you can do for customers have no short-term results. They're they're even almost impossible to measure. Mm -hmm. But if you use your common sense, you just know that they will have an impact on the long run, in the long run. And and that's what I believe in, that you need to have the guts to make decisions, to make bold decisions for a long-term impact without having any short-term expectations. Wow, that goes uh, completely against the grain for most companies, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Because they are completely in tune to the short term. Does all of this uh, come down to basically creating a relationship of trust between you and the customers? Exactly. And it's, it's understanding that trust is, is it's very simple uh, how trust works. You need to be consistent in your behavior over the long term. Um, if you keep your word, if you keep your promise um, over and over again, people trust you. If there is 
you know, if that fluctuates your behavior, they don't know what to expect and they don't trust you. So it takes time. But the cool thing is if you have this mindset of trying to do the good thing for customers over and over again, that after a few months, they trust you. After a few years, they, they trust you, you know, um, incredibly well. And that results in long-term results. Yeah. And I think uh, most of us will probably know examples of, of this. For instance, I completely, I loved how Cool Blue, the technology company, uh, does their customer service, for instance. And because of that, when I, whenever I have a problem or I need to return an item or I have a question or whatever, I just call them and it's incredible service. And they sometimes give stuff away for free, which obviously is not a good thing for them in the short term. But uh, the result is that I always come back to them because yeah. I trust them and I like them. Exactly. Well, I, I, I had this. Uh, I have my own little bookstore now, Barry. On my website, you can you can buy copies of my book. You can get signed copies there. And we we launched this end of August um, without any communication. And I was really surprised. People started to order a lot of books. We we ship thousands of books from our house. Where we. We don't have a house anymore. We have like a warehouse right now. <laughs> and um, of course, things go wrong because, you know, e-commerce exploded this year with COVID and, and the postal yeah. services, they cannot handle any, it anymore. So things go wrong. Um, and, and usually it, it's not really our fault, um, but it is our problem. You know, yeah. if, if a book doesn't arrive, it is our problem. And then we, you know, we, we have the mindset that we take our responsibility. If something went wrong, we're just going to ship a new one without any questions asked, without any any cost for the customer. And and even if the customer makes a mistake, we try to solve it. Like last week, someone ordered two English copies of my latest book, The Offer You Can't Refuse. And they emailed me. They said, you know what? We made a mistake. We wanted to have the Dutch ones. Can you send the Dutch <laughs> ones? And we will resend the English ones. And I just said, you know what, guys, just just keep the English copies, because if, if you're going to send them back, I mean, that that's just a waste of, of that book. And it, it probably will be damaged anyway after two shipments. Just keep the books and for free, we're going to send the two Dutch ones. And, you know, that that sounds like we're throwing away um, 60 or 70 euros. And most people would say it's a customer that made a mistake, so they have yeah. to pay for the two additional ones. I can't help it that they did that. They They should have thought about it. But we gave them away for free. And that was uh, 10 days ago. And this weekend, I got an email from that customer saying, I'm, I'm really glad with how you solved this. This was an inspiration for me. And um, we need to talk further. I, I love the way how you handle things. I love the way <laughs> how you describe things. And I, I want to invite you for a presentation uh, early next year. So it looks like you're wasting money, but I am so convinced. I'm such a believer that if you do the right thing and if you're kind for people and if you take decisions to help them further, that that always results in better business results. And uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. And, and companies that do that, like Cool Blue that you just mentioned, they grow on this because you trust them. You go back and, and they grow the relationship. And because of that, they grow the revenues. And, and in my opinion, Barry, I don't think... Long-term thinking fights with short-term results. I mean, if mm. you if you do this over and over again, then your short-term results just get better automatically. It's not like Cool Blue, they're playing the long-term game, that their short-term results are bad. On the contrary, very often, if you play the long-term game, the short-term results you know, have a stronger foundation because people come back all the time. 
it's easier to have good results in the short term as well. So they don't fight. Huh? They, they build upon each other if you do it like that. Yeah, but you do have to invest in that, obviously, in the short term. And then maybe not see a short-term result for a while. That could be, of course. It is, you know, and, and most people, they, they, they try it and they don't sustain playing the long-term game. It's like, it's like going to the gym, right? When you, when you go <laughs> to the gym, I don't know if you ever tried going to the gym. I, I did that a couple of times. And then uh, you, you have great expectations, right? Now you're going to have a healthy life and you're going to have a cathedral like a body when you're done with the gym. So you go there with full enthusiasm. And then after four weeks, you look in the mirror and what do you see, Barry? Yeah, nothing. No, nothing. <laughs> nothing changed. It is a complete disappointment. But you think, okay, it's only a month. So you continue uh, and you do the second month. And what do you see after two months in the mirror? Yeah, a little improvement. Hardly any improvement. So it yeah. doesn't work. Working out is just, it's, it's based <laughs> on your genetics, if you have a good body or not. It doesn't work because you tried it yeah. for eight weeks and zero impact, and then you quit. That's what most people do. And yeah. of course, if we look at it rationally, we know that you need to go to the gym for years before you have a significant impact and where you can actually see it. But most people don't have the energy to do it that long before they see any results. And it's the same in customer relations. In theory, we all know that doing the right thing results in strong customer relations, but usually we give up after two months. And then, you know what the really bad thing is? At a, at a certain moment, you, you, you're full with enthusiasm and you do the right thing for a customer, and then it happens. Then someone comes, in your shop, in your business, that takes advantage of your goodness. Those people exist, that yeah, they know that yeah. you're a nice guy and they think, you know what, I made a mistake and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it to them and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take advantage of their, of their goodness, right? Those kind of people. And yeah. then you completely lose it. Then you think, okay, I'm the good guy here, but if they start to take advantage of me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit being the good guy. And that's a problem in our mindset, Barry. That's a problem because, you know, if, if you look at our emotions in our head, we tend to give much more weight to negative emotions than to positive ones. Like if you receive 100 emails throughout the day and one of them is extremely negative and 99% of them are neutral and positive, when you go home, when you're in your bed in the evening, you think about that one negative email, right? That, that just keeps pounding in yeah. your head. And that's how we're programmed, of course, because you know yes. we need to look out for lions and tigers and negative things and danger. Exactly. That's how we are programmed. And that's not helping us with customer centricity because after a while, we start to think that this one negative client, this 5% pain in the ass clients that all of us have, we start to think that the pain in the ass client equals the average client. And because yeah. of that, we are not willing to give great service anymore because we make new rules to make sure that the 5% pain in the ass people cannot take advantage of us anymore. And while we're doing that, we are punishing the 95% of the good guys that are customers of our organization. So it takes mental strength. It takes the, the will to go in this for the long run to, to breed those results. And if you can do that, you can win. And it is basically easy, but because we are programmed in the wrong way in our brains, most organizations, most business leaders don't succeed in, in, that, in that goal. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of against uh, human nature there. It is. All right. 
So companies, uh, they should play the long-term game. Totally agree with that. And then in your uh, book, Customers the Day After Tomorrow, you talk about how they then should do that in the third phase of digitalization. Mm -hmm. What is this third phase of digitalization? Um, Well, we we started with um, the internet, basically, websites going online through desktop. That was phase one. We all remember mm-hmm. that. It started with that fantastic noise of a modem. And that phase <laughs> yeah. basically ended in 2007, 2008, when the iPhone came to market, because yeah. that was the beginning of phase two, the phase of mobile. And that completely changed our behavior again. And now we're in this third phase, um, phase of artificial intelligence, phase of automation, where we are moving from a one-button interface to a zero-button interface to automated purchases, those kind of things. And that's where we are now. And, you know, if if you look to the past 10 years, we had technologies like 4G, mobile, social media, that resulted in a phenomenal increase in convenience. That's how... Companies like Amazon, like Booking.com, like Uber became extremely successful because they were more user-friendly than others. Today, we see that this part of the evolution has matured. If you have digital convenience, customers see see that as the most natural thing in the world. If you have it, fine. If you don't have it, it becomes a negative differentiator. So in the past 10 years, digital convenience was a positive differentiator. Today... It is seen as a commodity. And now we're moving into this new phase where new technologies like artificial intelligence will create new opportunities, will create new business models, new kind of services for, for people. And they're in the beginning of their evolution, but you can, you can see that they will have a huge impact in the next decade, in the next 10 to 15 years in our day-to-day life. And they will also influence the expectations of, uh, of customers. I'm sure of that. Yeah, and we already see that, and sometimes AI seems very stupid still. Like, for instance, uh, if you have a Google Home uh, (laughs) in your home, like I do, I sometimes tend to ask it questions, just the simplest things, and then it says, oh, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's really not yet the assistant that we want to have, the intelligent assistant that has all the context of our lives that can uh, help plan uh, a weekend away or, I don't know, schedule a flight or something. Yeah. That will take some time to get there, I guess. That will take some time. And I think people like us, we are disappointed with the speed. Huh? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think both of us, we would hope that things would go faster. I mean, many people say it's going fast, but I have the feeling it's going way too slow. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Google Home can be very cool if you ask music, if you have a kitchen timer, if you want to check out the weather. But for more yeah. complex things, it's it's not smart enough. And sometimes it does really strange things like interfering in a conversation when we even didn't talk to it. So, so sometimes it's annoying. But I, I think in, in that perspective, we're waiting like for the iPhone moment after the BlackBerry, right? That, that's what I'm really waiting for, for the next couple of years to happen, where you see that it yeah. goes into, the, into this next phase. I, I wrote a uh, fiction book, Barry. I, I wrote a fiction book. Uh, for now, it's only available in Dutch. It's called Eternal. And yeah. it's a story that happens in the year 2041. And I try to describe this world of of AI and what I think it will look like, what I hope it will look like. 
and it, it shows the benefits of automation in our day-to-day life and how easy our life can become if we really have a good performing digital butler that helps us out with uh, with all those things you know that we don't want to spend time in so i'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to that and i hope that we're going to see that jump in the next two or three years yeah, I hope so too, because it seems like uh, a long time already since we've had devices like Google Home and Siri mm-hmm. and all that, all those things. And it, it, indeed, it seems a bit uh, stagnant, but I'm pretty confident that behind the scenes, there is some exponential uh, development going on that at some point just takes over and has the correct models and uh, will have the technology to actually train these things so well yeah. that they will become great assistants and that we will have things like uh, autonomous driving, for instance. Yeah. It's also an example. That's true. That's true. And, you know, I, both of us, we live in Europe. Um, that's a disadvantage right now. I think <laughs> if you if you look, for instance, how Alexa is, is becoming part of the day-to-day life of many people in the United States, that's a different ballgame huh? because there, there are so many more applications. Amazon has installed so many more functionalities that work for the U.S. market that, that we don't have here yet. And, and then if you look at, for instance, um, Google, if you speak to it in, in Dutch, our mother tongue, then, yeah, the applications are, are not as powerful as in the U.S. So we, we have a disadvantage there. So I'm, uh, I, I think that probably we're going to see this evolution first jumping to the level that we are looking forward to in, in both the U.S. and in Asian markets. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But that's also why I always use it uh, in English. So yeah, I, <laughs> I speak in English to, uh, to devices. <laughs> so just to get the, n- the latest versions. But uh, so AI obviously is then, let's say, the, the fundamental thing that will drive lots of technologies forward, like uh, autonomous driving, uh, intelligent assistance, and all sorts of other stuff. But there's other things that are emerging right now as well. For instance, uh, paying for things is completely changing. Like with the pandemic right now, everything has become um, cashless. So I pay with my Apple uh, Pay, with my phone and with my watch everywhere. Mm-hmm. But things are changing even further. What's your take on that? In in terms of payment or in general? Yeah, payment. In terms of payment. Yeah, well, you know, it's. I'm like, thank God that we're finally moving into this phase huh? because I... I remember before the pandemic, pandemic, I used to travel a lot to to China, mm-hmm. and you know, money is just something from from the Middle Ages. There, I, I still remember that I was there with a friend in, in Shenzhen, and we went to a, a supermarket, uh, not a supermarket. We went to a uh, what's what's it called? A, a shopping mall. Yeah, shopping mall, and mm-hmm. um, we saw this Hagen Dust store there. And we decided to go for an ice cream. So we said, okay, let, let's go. And we waited in line and then we could order. So I said, two cones for me and my friend. And I told my friend, I said, I will pay. And uh, I took my credit card, gave it to that friendly lady that was standing there. <laughs> and I can tell you, she looked at me as as you would pay something in Amsterdam and you would bring two goats to pay. Huh? That was the kind of <laughs> look she had in her eyes. Like, okay, we have two guys here from the Middle Ages that are coming here to buy ice cream. How do I deal with this? But she was really friendly. She was like, okay, let me try. So she grabbed this old credit card device filled with dust and she, <laughs> she swiped my card a few times and it didn't work at all. Huh? So it didn't work. She said, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't do credit cards anymore. And I said, yeah. okay, how can I pay? 
And my friend said, Stephen, no worries. I have cash money with me because those Chinese apps, we, we didn't have them. They, they don't work for us. He said, I have yeah. cash. And then it happened. Huh? We, he, he took his wallet. He gave paper money, you know, paper money to that Chinese lady. And at that moment, all the Chinese people that were waiting in line behind us, they started to take pictures of us. <laughs> like, okay, we have an attraction here. Two guys <laughs> from Europe that are here paying with cash. And, and we, it was almost like we had to be available for selfies to show their friends that people <laughs> like us really exist. We were an attraction there. And, you know, that, that is so normal for them to, to pay with their phone, with their watch. That, that cash is like something from a previous century. And if you then compare that with the US and with Europe, I mean, we are, we are years behind. And it's not just China. I, I had the pleasure to give a talk in uh, Tanzania a couple of years ago. And in Tanzania, Vodafone created M-Pesa. And M-Pesa is a mobile payment platform that they launched there, which is extremely important because many people in Tanzania don't have a bank account. So they were walking around with all their money in their pocket, <clears throat> extremely dangerous. And M-Pesa is now a way where they can put their money in a safe way on their phone and they can pay with their phone. And it's not necessary to have a smartphone. They can, they can do mobile payments with, with old Nokias if they have an old Nokia. So mm -hmm. the truth is, this looks now like a big jump forward for Europe and the US that we're paying cashless and, and contactless. But the truth is, we, we had to catch up. We were just staying behind compared to the rest of the world. So I'm very, very happy that we're finally making this jump. And... I'm convinced we're not going to go back, and this is going to be part of our of our, yeah, new way of living. I sure hope so. Yeah, should we be uh, scared that big companies like uh, Google, for instance, is uh, also offering payment services? So we have Google Pay in a bit, and mm -hmm. should we be scared of that? As in, now they also know what we buy, in uh, besides also knowing uh, what we search for and where we are. Now they know everything about us. Is that is that a bad thing? Hmm. I'm, I'm always naive, optimistic about this. Huh? I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I, I think that Google perfectly knows what we buy and what we want to buy without seeing the actual financial transaction. They, they see our search patterns. They see where we are. Uh, so if you go to a coffee shop every morning, they, they, can, they know that you buy coffee there. They don't need to see that transaction. If, if you yeah. search for certain books and then you go to an e-commerce site, they know this and then they, you know, they, they can imagine that you will buy that book. So it's, of course, it's an additional piece of, of data. Um, and what these companies are doing is, is trying to get a foot into our daily life. Huh? That's basically uh, they're moving into all aspects that are important for us in, in shopping, in information search, in entertainment, in mobility. So they're moving into all these fields and they're expanding their, their power. And, and that's, of course, a reality that if you look now in the pandemic, there, there was a lot to do in many countries about buying local, buying from local companies, and, and many people have done that. But the, the results from these technology companies, they, they just exploded in the last few months. They've become more powerful. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how governments will deal with this. Uh, some people yeah. are saying we should, we should split them up, huh? make sure that they don't have so much power anymore. This is now... A debate in China, maybe you, you remember that the big IPO of Ant Financial Services, that was yeah. supposed to be the biggest IPO in human history, that was stopped by the Chinese government like the day before. Um, and now they're looking at Jack Ma and saying, okay, he and his friends at Tencent, uh, Pony Ma, the founder of Tencent, they have too much, they have too much power. 
they're infiltrated in every part of society. Maybe they are more powerful than the government. Maybe we need to stop this. And when the Chinese start to talk about this, there's a big chance that they will stop that. And then you have the US, uh, where you have companies like Amazon, Facebook. The uh, question is, do they have monopolies? What will the new president do? And it's, it's double, uh, because if you look at it from the point of view of the local economy, imagine that you are president of the United States. You have the local economy. I think it would be a good decision for the local economy if you limit the power of companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon and maybe make sure that they don't do acquisitions all the time because they have so much money that they can buy basically anyone who, who forms a threat in the long run. So they kill the threat before it even becomes a threat. So you, you basically push down the, the principles of the free market. So for the internal market, it would be good. But if you look at it from a geopolitical point of view, where you have this new Cold War between the US and China, if you dismantle Facebook and Google and Amazon, it's like, you know, they are like your flagship partners today if you want to have a big impact in, in the world because there's a big chance that, you know, that 10 years from now that we will end up with two kind of internets, uh, an internet dominated by American companies, Western companies, and an internet dominated by Chinese companies. And in, in the more markets you are with your internet, the more influence you have in the world, that will become much more important than military in the next few decades. Yep. So will you do that as American president? Cut down on your strategic assets like Google and Facebook and Amazon? I don't know. So it's a, it's a very complex, difficult debate. And in the meanwhile, while we are all having that debate, they are growing and becoming more important without any doubt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, we see the stock prices of all these big companies. Uh, they are soaring to uh, unprecedented heights and there, there's no stopping uh, it right. in yeah. the future. So what about uh, physical stores? We still have physical retail stores, you know, to buy books, to yes. buy uh, clothes and, and food as well. Do you think those things still have a place in the future? Oh, Absolutely. I think there's there's a big opportunity for uh, for for physical shopping and physical entertainment. People people like to do this, but the bar of expectations of the market is higher. If you just have a store where you just sell things that I can buy somewhere else in a more convenient and a cheaper way, well, then that store will go down and will go out of business. So you yeah. will need to figure out a way how to increase efficiency on the one hand in a store so that people don't lose time. And on the one hand, you will have to figure out a way how to increase the experience by installing services that you cannot do on the internet and that add value by making sure that the humans that work in the store add more value than, than before and that your service levels are higher than, than ever. And, and this brings us back to the first part of our conversation. Uh, the, and, and this is a very difficult one because because of the pandemic, many stores are suffering. They're trying to survive. They were closed in many markets around the world and, and they have to find their place again. So they will have to study what the new expectations are. And because many of these stores are suffering, some of them have been lowering services and increasing prices. And that's the beginning of the end. They, they have to make sure that they keep their standards high and make sure that their service levels are, are high, even though they're in the eye of the storm. Otherwise, I mean, you need to make sure that there's a reason for a customer to come to you. It's not because you are a physical store and your door opens that people just come back. 
you need to give <laughs> them a reason to come back. Yeah, I think maybe the pandemic is a great incentive for that because I've always felt like I'm in a clothes store or something and I want something and then they say, well, we don't have it, but you know, we can order it for you. It will be here in three weeks and you then have to come back to go get it. So I say, oh, I can just order it online as well. What's the point of, uh, of me being here? Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of excited about what they uh, need to be doing to uh, stay viable there because that will, you know, increase their value and hopefully we'll see something new coming out of that, especially like uh, automation of uh, uh, grocery stores, for instance. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be really, really cool. Yeah. Let's see how that goes because <laughs> both of uh, you and me want that to happen tomorrow. <laughs> but that will right. be a, quite some time out, I think. And uh, then maybe a last topic is uh, VR and uh, AR, so virtual reality and augmented reality. Okay. I am still very excited about this space. Like recently, I've bought an uh, Oculus Quest, which mm -hmm. is uh, a Facebook thing, actually. Yeah. I'm not really, not really a big fan of Facebook, but I'm a big fan of the device because it's a standalone uh, VR device. And that's a lot better than something that is... Uh, tethered to your machine and that requires a big machine to run let's say a simple game or something I think we're still in the beginning of virtual reality and augmented reality and here as well as in AI it seems that it's taken a long time to become a viable thing that, that I like to use and that, that customers want to buy mm -hmm. do you think there's any, any future in VR or AR? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a, there's a big future, but but you're absolutely right. We have to be patient here. I've, I've visited many augmented reality companies in the last five years, and they all said the same, you know, for now, it's just a, a nice gimmick. And mm -hmm. the truth is computer power needs to be a lot faster and stronger than it is today. And uh, the software has to be smarter than it is today. To, to make augmented reality happen like the way that we imagine it, right? That you put some lens in or some glasses in and that then you have this, this really mixed reality. When you see the world, you see all kind of extra information filters on top of your screen and stuff like this. That takes a lot of power. And we're not there yet. And um, when I talk with these kind of companies, I think this, this could easily take another five to 10 years before this mm -hmm. really matures and until we really have something that, that makes a difference. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious um, about the investments that Apple is doing in this field. Uh, in, in the last few yeah. years, there, there were rumors that Apple was working on Apple Glass and, um, and that they made some acquisitions in, in this field. But Apple is known to bring something to the market, not as the first one, but when it really works and when it really adds, add value. Uh, the, 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 we had this with the phone, we had this with their, with their watch. I think the day that Apple brings an augmented reality product on the market, that that could be a game changer because they will not launch something as a gimmick that just, you know, does something that works half-half. That will probably be the moment when we see uh, when we see a huge impact. And then the, the opportunities are endless. Eh? Imagine what you can do with a, with a mixed reality world in terms of information, in terms of safety in in terms of communication i mean the the opportunities of of augmented reality are are huge i see a huge a bigger future for augmented reality than for virtual reality virtual reality is of course fun if you want to watch a game or imagine that you you can watch a football game like it's in that that you're like in the stadium but you're actually in your couch at home that kind of experiences will be cool mm. so i i mostly see there 
uh, entertainment solutions in the in the short run for augmented reality i think it could become a new interface that changes the way that we live just like the mobile phone did but it's going to take a couple of years is, is my um, prediction yeah, yeah totally agree we're basically waiting on uh, the iphone of uh, ar right but, uh, you know maybe it comes from apple maybe from another company that we haven't heard of who knows mm -hmm. true true all right so that's all very exciting stuff. And also a bit disappointing that we have to wait <laughs> for all of it. It takes so but, long. Huh? We don't people like us, we don't understand when others are saying it's going fast. <laughs> no, it's going slow, guys. It's going way too slow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that one of the big um, bottlenecks of all of this stuff, including let's say the speed of your mobile phone that's in your pocket, mm -hmm. is still the battery power that that is powering all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So for instance, now in my iPhone, it lasts for a day. It has a battery for a day, which is pretty impressive because it has a huge screen on it and does all sorts of stuff and connects to the internet and such. Mm -hmm. yep. But I think if we had different battery technology that this thing could last a week or something or, mm -hmm. or longer, then we could make these things a lot more powerful, including, let's say, your AR glasses or something. True. So maybe if we have a revolution there, then maybe we uh, we solve a lot of problems yeah that's true like with our nokias back uh, back in the days uh, oh. we had to charge them once a week those were the days yeah those were the days <laughs> <laughs> all right well this was very cool where can people find more about you and for instance also where can they buy your books um they, they can find me uh, almost everywhere on on the internet i, I share a lot of content on youtube so just youtube.com slash my name, Stephen Van Bellingham. Uh, share a lot of content on Instagram, LinkedIn. They can learn about my background on my website, stephenvanbellingham.com. I have my own little book store there, as you've heard. But they can find my book on all the other channels uh, in, in the mm -hmm. Netherlands, in uh, bold.com or uh, Amazon. You, you can get it through the traditional channels. And it would be a pleasure to meet a lot of the listeners on social media. Excellent. All right, I will link to all of those things in the show notes. All right. Cool. Thank you very much for, uh, for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to have this conversation with you. Thank you very much. All right. This was another episode of Developer Weekly. Tune in next week for a new topic. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much.